Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to the Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorf, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University. And I'm joined by Jay Carson, a lawyer in Ohio. Jay, we don't often get to do the show together, no, we don't. so welcome we don't. to the show. Um, yeah, my 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 typical uh, epithet is uh, defender of freedom, as as Mike likes to call me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the defender, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, when it's the two of us, you really get to be the defender of freedom. Well, that's that's true. We're it's it's uh, all all freedom uh, all the time here when it's when it's uh, the two of us. So yeah, this is a little unusual show. Well, uh, yeah, that's one of the things today. we need to mention. So this week, Mike needed to have a little bit of time off. He's on a little bit of vacation, and so I'm I'm stepping in for him today. Day. And so that makes the show a little bit unusual in the sense that we don't uh, have, you know, our kind of more traditional liberal foil in the form of either Ken or uh, Mike. But of course, I'm a little bit of a chameleon. That's why I was teasing you a little bit there, Jay, right? Uh, so, you know, I am, I, I'm a libertarian who has often caucused with uh, the Republican Party. Uh, and so that's why, you know, every now and then I have to, I have to poke fun at your epithet because you know, you guys talk about that and I'll think, but, you know, this, are Republicans really the freedom lovers all the time? <laughs> so today I'm going to try to kind of put on my, uh, uh, you know, take on my contrarian hat uh, as we chat a little bit, because again, I get to kind of be on both those sides, which always kind of works out with students. They always think they can pigeonhole me, but it's really difficult sometimes, especially for uh, individuals to kind of pigeonhole a libertarian because we, we, we can in one instance seem really conservative and another one seem a little flaming like a, on the left. So, <laughs> Well, uh, this uh, week, Jay, we've got a couple of really interesting stories, although, you know, it wasn't the world's uh, busiest news week. But I think one of the bigger things we're going to tackle this week, we're going to take a look at the January 6th. Uh, hearing already a lot is coming out of that, right? I mean, this week we've got stuff for the DOJ. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. Uh, we're going to move on to talk about that infrastructure deal. This is something that just keeps kind of coming up in the show because, again, it continues to move forward. It's a big deal. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about the state of uh, COVID with the Delta variant. Uh, and then if we have time, we've got a few other little stories that we might get to, and, and we'll, we'll see about that when the time comes. But before we start on that first story, we start talking about um, the January 6th House Commission, we're going to take a brief break. Well, Jay, why don't you get us started and kind of get us up to speed on the January 6th uh, commission and so, so far, what's yeah, going the, on? Uh, the January 6th uh, uh, committee met for the first time on Tuesday of, of this week, uh, where it heard uh, emotional testimony from uh, numerous uh, Capitol Police officers. Uh, they talked about how they fought uh, hand-to-hand, uh, inch by inch, uh, as the, the uh, uh, events played out. Um, uh, the other, you know, I guess, news that's coming out of that is 
the chairman has indicated his intention to uh, seek to call members of Congress and subpoena members of Congress uh, if necessary uh, to testify as to uh, communications that they may have had or or, or may or may not have had um, uh, with with the executive branch with uh, President Trump um, uh, while while events were were unfolding. So uh, you know, I guess this is this is something that you know most Republicans had opposed in the the first place. Uh, then there was the dust up as to who was going to be on the the committee. Um, uh, Speaker Pelosi took uh, what were in, in her words the unprecedented unprecedented step of uh, vetoing a couple uh, Republicans who had been. Uh, Jim Banks, yeah, yeah, Jim Jordan, uh, particularly um, to to serve on the committee. Um, but nevertheless, we we are moving forward with the committee, and I, I guess I wanted to get your thoughts on on the first week and and where this goes down the road. Well, you know, this is one we, we had uh, Ken and I had talked a little bit about this a week ago when we had done the show, and it's something I followed. But we were talking; obviously, nothing had happened yet. We were talking about the dust stuff that you were chatting about there. Uh, I, I was I was disappointed, and, and maybe I'm just going to be doomed to be continually disappointed uh, in in Republicans wanting to be against the commission. Because again, for me, this just again plays in uh, to a narrative that Republicans don't really want to understand what's going on. Um, and I mean, again, picking Jim Jordan to be on the committee clearly was an attempt to to kind of draw a line in the sand and say, look, we're, we don't really care about this. Um, and, and so for me, I, you know, that, that kind of uh, worries me. Now, Ken, he argued that, of course, that uh, he thought having it being more partisan might end up having a potentially better commission. When you look at it historically, I would have preferred for uh, Republicans to get on board earlier on so that we could have had uh, an actual commission, a bipartisan commission, instead of the House committee. Uh, but you know, we are where we are, and so you know, this week we get a, we we already have had some. I mean, I think one of the uh, the bigger ones to come out, although the emotional testimony is kind of a a push and a drive. I mean, that's a narrative that's that that is going to play well. I think the one that uh, they're going to be a bigger deal, of course, was here on the thirtieth. Um, the Justice Department officials. Uh, released the transcript, uh, the handwritten notes on the transcript, uh, Donald Trump's uh, call to press uh, that the election was corrupt and leave the rest to him. And this is the kind of stuff that I think that a lot of Republicans didn't want to have to get involved in this go round. I think many of them probably knew this kind of stuff was out there, and that's why they weren't so hot uh, about being part of this committee in a real way. What do you think? I think that's. I think you're you're right. Um, Republicans certainly didn't want um, <laughs> want to be a part of it, and, and I, to some extent, I I I argued that there are good reasons why they they shouldn't be. Um, uh, and one one was, look, we've done this before. It was called impeachment, um, and that this is just sort of a a uh, an attempt for the Democrats to keep Donald Trump alive. Uh, he is he is the best card they have to play. Um, uh, right now, and and we'll continue to 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 do this. And I, and I think there's there's something to be do you said. Really think it's just a card, though. Like, I mean, I mean, oh yeah. I mean, January sixth, we actually had individuals, you know, attempting to take over and interrupt an election. Is that just a card? I mean, that, that that's I don't know. 
Well, let's let, let's let's talk about that. I guess is you know were they really trying to take over the the government? I I don't think so. Maybe there were some, right? There were may have some kooks who actually thought they they could or would. Um, I think the vast majority of these folks were were protesters uh, who were they were violent protesters. Certainly, they were rioters. They got out of hand. Um, they should have uh, the, there should have been more more police, more security there uh, to contend with with that. And those people uh, should be arrested and and charged and and punished accordingly. Um, But the Democratic narrative is that this was sort of some sort of attempted coup, um, which I, I, again, I just don't don't see. It's so you also let me me kind of push because I'm curious about that. So uh, I mean, it appears from my point of view that the that what moves the the individuals from being just kind of pure, you might even call it, you know, agitated protest yeah. is, to the, to this next level uh, is the fact that they that many of them think that they ought to stop Mike Pence from certifying the electoral college. So, but it means so if you're attempting right. to interfere and, and I, with the I, I normal processes of government, is, wouldn't that, by definition, be a, um, a, a you know a fervent oh, kind of revolutionary it's, no, it's absolutely, as, as a, pointless as it might be? I mean, I'm not su- suggesting that they could be successful, but it, it's absolutely obstruction of of public business. Uh, it's absolutely probably trespassing and and a whole number of other other crimes. Um, uh, it's, but it's, it's not, it's not an overthrow of the government. Um, I mean, in, in the law, there has to be the, the sort of, you know, there's sort of two pieces of it that, uh, you can have the intent, right. To commit a certain crime, but still fail in, in, uh, attempting to, to make, commit that crime. Um, and this is just, I think one of those, those situations. And, and I think Republicans shouldn't run from the, from January sixth, and or, or or try to defend it, right, and say, look, this is, um, as Trump had said, uh, or you know, these people or commentators had said, these were just you know tourists walking around. They were peaceful. They were you know um, nonsense. They were they were rioters. They were they were rioters. They were uh, uh, criminals, uh, and, and again, should be convicted and prosecuted, prosecuted and convicted um, in that order. Um, but but the the idea that democracy somehow hung in the balance, no, it didn't. Um, you know, even assuming that uh, they had gotten in and and uh, stopped this or stopped the certification, uh, certainly no court uh, would have said that uh, the the uh, election is, is somehow now now goes to Trump. Well, well, they didn't vote. Trump won. Um, just because that's simply not how it works. I mean, uh, he had received the uh, President Biden and received the the uh, uh, requisite electoral votes. Uh, electoral college had voted. He's the president. I mean, that's that's just uh, the way it is. So I, I guess that to me, uh, you know, so much of this is is political theater. Uh, and that's not to say that what happened on January 6th wasn't terrible and horrific and we ought to take a look at it. Um, but I guess my my first criticism, um, well, like a couple. One one is that this narrative was that this was really an attempt to overthrow the government. Um, uh, and I just I just I, I don't I'm not buying that. Uh, uh, again, it was it was um, 
uh, certainly obstruction of government processes, obstruction of Congress. And, and look, the fact that of all these folks who have been arrested and charged and many have pled, I don't believe any of them have been uh, convicted of, of, you know, causing an insurrection or, or um, um, uh, sedition or, or any of those sort of or overthrow the government. It's been trespassing, disorderly conduct. It's, it's been those uh, more garden variety offenses, some of them uh, up to felony offenses. Um, so uh, I guess that's, that's where I'm coming on that. The, the second thing that, that I guess bugs me a little bit is I'm not sure exactly what the commission's purpose is, if not just, you know, to inflame uh, political passions. Um, what is it that we're trying to find out that we didn't know? Now we, you know, for example, the the uh, testimony that we heard uh, earlier this week. While you're right, it certainly was emotional, so it was compelling. It it tended to just add more heat than light. Um, you know, in as to far as how this happened, why it happened. Uh, the subpoena thing, I think, is interesting. Uh, if there there are in fact such communications, that would be a huge deal. Um, I I rather suspect that uh, the communications that do exist uh, are going to be um, uh, not not as shocking as as uh, Democrats are trying to make them out to be now. Um, but the other piece I, I think that that needs to be pointed out, and Republicans still call sorts of heat on this. Um, but at some point, you know, whether there was the failure in the intelligence to know that this could happen, and a failure of of uh, uh, management in making sure that the proper security forces were were in place. Um, the, the Capitol sees all sorts of protests, marches all the time, um, and in in cases where they believe that there is a chance of of violence or or people breaking into the Capitol improperly, uh, you know, there are the barriers, there are the the National Guards, there are the um, gosh, Mike and I can tell you about a time we were, you know, down for a, a protest march at the Capitol. Uh, and there were literally sort of these like, you know, little mini tanks and again, National Guard type guys uh, surrounding the Capitol. Uh, and this was a much less, a much smaller deal than uh, than what was going on on January 6th. Um, so, I mean, I think those those are valid questions to answer. Uh, and I, I but you don't you know, think that the com- that the committee is. is- useful though even though those might be valid questions to pursue well if the if the committee is actually going to pursue those questions and i guess that's what i'm you know the jury's still out um my sense is that that they will not and uh, things like uh nancy pelosi refusing to have certain members on the, the commission um that that sort of kind of gives away the game, right? Well, that's an interesting uh, question then. So, because I'm I'm a little bit curious about that on your front too. It's something that Ken and I have talked about, but of course the two of us haven't had a chance to talk about. <clears throat> but you know, you kind of talk about that process. What what are your feelings then on the Republicans who voted to uh, not certify? Oh, I mean, I think they're they were were absolutely in the wrong. Um. You know, Mike and I have talked about this a bunch of times. And uh, look, I, I don't think that there's I, I guess, look, if there are some Republicans who could say I have a good faith belief that there was actually some sort of chicanery uh, uh, in in this state or that state, uh, and therefore I cannot vote to certify. 
Yeah, um, that's what I kind of thought you said. So, I can appreciate that. But, so I, I think there, that's what you're going to say. So is, and then why would it be surprising that, that ones, particularly like uh, Jordan and Banks, who were vehement in their kind of support and then did continue to vote no, might not be great choices to be on the committee? I mean, doesn't that potentially, even based on that logic there, make sense? Well, no, because the, if the idea of the committee is to say we want a trustworthy, believable, uh, bipartisan um, uh, result uh, panel that's really going to look at all the issues, uh, then why wouldn't you include Jim Jordan? Because uh, he clearly was corrupt in his vote and already on this particular issue clearly was biased. Otherwise, he wouldn't have voted as erroneously as he did. I, I, I guess... If if you want to have a legitimate, if if the complaint is the system is rigged, okay, let's put it this way: if the complaint of the system is rigged, Democrats have rigged the system, um, and and the national goal of this is to get to the bottom of what actually happened. Um, uh, you know why? How how did how were these people motivated to to storm the Capitol? Uh, how did they get in? How did we miss the intelligence on this? Um, uh, was the response adequate? Uh, were were there communications uh, uh, between the executive and Congress uh, relating to this? Um, yeah, let's let's have that conversation. But the idea that well, we're not going to allow any possible dissenters uh, into that conversation. Uh, we're not going to allow them to ask questions. Well, that that sort of tells you that the jury's rigged. If if you you have high confidence, and look, Democrats have a majority on the committee. They they are the they control the chairman. Um, if you have a high degree of confidence uh, on this, then then certainly I think you you let the other side in. Um, it just it just speaks to having sort of a a fixed fight. If you're going to say, well, look, we're we're going to have a completely impartial. Uh, view at this and uh, uh, look at it from all sides, uh, but not that side. Um, but is that I really? Think I, mean, I think it undermines. The, I think it undermines. The the is there really a side that that wants to ignore evidence? I mean, I guess my problem here, what I'm trying to push on a little bit, is to say that in my mind there have been some Republicans now because of the positions they've taken. They're not really on a side. I, I don't know what they are, and that's one of the things that's frustrating to me. You know, so to continue to claim that the election, for example, is rigged, as many of you guys does, what that means is that they're not interested in evidence and there isn't a side, right? And so in your kind of terms there, you're talking about like, well, the jury is rigged. Well, you know, if I was a lawyer, I would have, you know, you, uh, I, I wouldn't want these guys on my jury, right? <laughs> because they don't have, they, to the best of the extent that I can get at from what I'm looking at here, uh, a guy like Jordan has just decided to disconnect himself entirely from reality. I don't know what a view that says, hey, look, I don't care what any of the courts have said. I don't care what any of the secretaries of state have said. I don't care what any of the audits have said. I know what I know, which is that this was a uh, fraud. And I just know it because, and, yeah. and to be honest, no, I'm not even me, quite sure what that evidence me, always is. To me, that's all the more reason that you put somebody like a uh, Jim Jordan on there because look if he's got you know and you say Mr. Jordan if you want to subpoena witnesses if you want to call some witnesses before the uh the committee let's hear them uh if you don't if you don't have anybody to call uh if you don't have anybody to back up what you're saying 
well, at that point, we can we can dismiss it. But no one can say you didn't get your chance. No one can say you didn't get the opportunity to, I mean, to make your point that, or that, that you were excluded from this. Maybe you, Jay Carson, say that. But, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is that we still have cyber ninjas in Arizona going through all this. And people still think the right. I guess what I'm asking, though, is, is at some point there's going to be a cohort of people who are apparently so disconnected from any kind of evidentiary standards that I don't think I, you very well. He might call, uh, you know, the pillow guy in. Sure. <laughs> and we're, you know, we have hours of testimony on this and the world says, yeah, see, I knew it. Right. All of the dots connect. Well, I, no, but, but, but don't you think when that is all. And again, this this comes back to a debate Mike and I often have over the just sort of the faith in in, in the people. Um, don't don't you think that uh, at some point people will look at that and say, "Yeah, this is nuts," as as the vast majority of, of folks have. You know, twenty. The more, the more it's exposed. I mean, look. Yeah, let's by all means, let's call the pillow guy. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> uh, you know, look. If if I'm if I'm Nancy Pelosi, he's you know one of my first witnesses, and uh, you know maybe is explain exactly you know how it is that that. Uh, yeah. So, I, you know, that's that's. Well, you know, twenty sixteen. Whole... might want to have to agreed with you, Jay. I mean, twenty sixteen. Me kept thinking, well. You know, people are going to recognize that Trump isn't a conservative. They're going to recognize that, uh, you know, you know, Trump does not fit what we are in the Republican Party. <clears throat> and then I was really worried when he got elected. You know, I came out against uh, against him. But I, was, but I continued to hope that there would be kind of this pushback. But, you know, I, I wish that I was still 2016 Trey in that sense. But uh, 2021 Trey says, well, if really those kinds of things would bring people to their senses, nobody, by the time we got to the end of four years of, of Trump, would, would have been taking any of that Trump stuff uh, seriously, right? Uh, yeah. But obviously they did. So, I, I mean, I guess I wish that I could say, yes, Jay, I think you're right. If we, if, if we just give these guys long enough uh, airtime, they're eventually going to just discredit themselves. But, you know, now, you know, we're four and a half year, well, more, if you consider, you know, the election time of, of Trump, you know, we're, let's say, six years into that. And, and, and it doesn't appear to me that uh, additional crazy evidence. I, in other words, I, the, the pillow guy showing up, I don't think would do anything other than potentially kind of solidify a lot of people's position rather than switching them uh, to well, a more that, that rational That may be so. There's always going to be that, that core group out there who aren't going to change their mind. Um, uh, but I, I, I think if you interviewed, I don't know, and again, polling is, is difficult on these types of questions. Um, most Republicans, um, and and again, there there are so many different questions as to do you believe the election was stolen? I do not believe the election was stolen. Uh, do you believe uh, there was fraud? Uh, yes, I do, because there's always fraud in, in in all sorts of elections. Was it of a a magnitude to affect the result? No, of course not. Um, uh, were there steps taken by uh, various states or or, or county uh, board of elections? Uh, that I find really troubling, uh, absolutely, uh, that ought to be looked into. Again, do those uh, invalidate the election? No. Um, 
So, I mean, I think you can you can proceed both ways that that say, look, we have electoral issues. There are reasons to be concerned uh, about some of the procedures and policies that were that happened in, in various states. Um, at the same time, acknowledging uh, it didn't change the result. That doesn't mean we don't look into, you know, potential trouble because maybe it might be worse next time. Um, but I. So, so, but going back to this, I mean, the, the January sixth uh, uh, committee, while the the election, the validity of the election, is a tangential issue to it, it, it that's not what the committee is is there to determine. It's how did this uh, this happen? And I guess under under your rationale, I mean, what what committee could Jim Jordan serve on? Well, I mean, to be, to, I mean, to be frank, I mean, if I was in his district, my answer would be none. I, you know. It, once he's for for me, I mean, of course, he's not my my congressperson, so I don't get to make that determination. His, his district does, uh, but if he was mine, my answer would be I would have to vote no for him every time because I, I don't think he would be qualified. Sure, I, I, I think that I think that disqualifies him from the public trust, uh, and, and I would not be able to vote for an individual um, who had uh, who had in the second instance continued. Uh, to vote uh, to not recognize uh, the electoral college vote, and 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 great, but there are millions of people uh, who voted the other way. That's true. And and what I mean, I guess the, <laughs> that's 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 you know where I'm coming from is well, what's to be done with them? Um, well, I mean uh, that's the and that's the fundamental problem. Something we might even deal with in the bonus. I mean that one of the questions that I always thought was kind of profound. It's not one that I've explored as a scholar personally, <clears throat> but in graduate school kind of set up and one that I, I present to students is, you know, uh, is, is an election to overturn democracy democratic, right? It's kind of, it's, it's a classic conundrum. Yeah. Um, and, and so, I mean, your I think your answer is kind of playing into that to the extent to saying, if there's lots of people who don't want to have a democratic republic anymore, and they're going to vote for people who are going to undo it, you know, how does that fit into a worldview? I think that's a big question. So, I mean, I recognize those people exist. And, and, and that one of the reasons that I haven't wholesale abandoned the Republican Party uh, is because I hope that we can we can shove those individuals <laughs> out. Right. We can either well, yeah, fix no, them and, or push them and, out. But I, and I, I don't. My concern is, is that I think that. What gives me heartburn on a continual basis is is that I think really what's happening is they're succeeding in, in pushing maybe me, maybe you out, um, and and what's and that we don't really have that place anymore. And and oftentimes I have worried. I've looked carefully and thought and uh, considered and prayed about. Uh, well, it, do I really have a place in the Republican Party today? And and, and more and more frequently. If I'm being really honest, the answer is that whatever space was available to me is quickly is quickly leaving. Uh, yeah. I, no, I don't think I, I don't think I'm winning that position. So I mean, I, I think you're right. There's millions of people disagree, and that gives me some heartburn uh, for for what I've considered to be my party. Well, no, believe me, I I feel the same um, uh, on a lot of fronts. Uh, but I'm I'm taking this from a, a bigger issue, not as a as a you know. Registered Republican, or even I guess I, may, I guess maybe more of a conservative. And I say this to Mike sometimes. It's look at some point you're either you're either okay with self government or you're not. Um, 
And self-government necessarily means you got to deal with the crazies and they get to have a voice, uh, crazy as they are. And the the whole idea of of sort of the liberal democracy, uh, you know, Western vision, I guess, right, is that, look, if you allow everybody the freedom to speak, to operate, to argue, um, eventually you're going to going to weed those crazies out. Not all the time. Um, as Lincoln said, you, you can fool some of the people all of the time um, uh, and some of the people all the time. But uh, it, you get to the point where um, you're, you're it, it's diminishing returns, right? You're just not going to have that 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 massive movement. You're not always going to have a Trump to lead it. Uh, and look at what just happened in Texas, where the, the Trump candidate uh, got got beaten fairly convincingly in a, uh, a Republican primary. Um, so look, if if a if a if a Trump if a Trump supported candidate loses a, a Republican primary in Texas, um, I mean you can start to say, well, maybe maybe we have passed peak Trump at this point. Well, yeah, I guess to get back to your question there, and then maybe we'll need to move forward. As, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And then we're going to need to kind of move forward. Uh, and, and that is, though, you talk about you know, in, in the liberal de- democratic way uh, is you've got to deal with the crazies. But my response to that is, is though, I don't have to be a democracy does not require that I set it up in such a way that I have to give them uh, time. As a matter of fact, our system, one of the things that I argue with Ken about on, on a regular basis, we live in a democracy that purposefully attempts to have minority points heard, and as a result, to exclude particular kinds of crazy. I mean, I think that's one of the the cool uh, elements of the American system is we're a democracy with an asterisk. <laughs> um, and, and again, I think that might be something we talk about. You know, we're, we're, a repu- we're a republic in that sense. And, and the positive there is, is we have chance to not necessarily always give voice to the to the crazy we don't have to and so you know going back to you know who's going to be on the committee and moving forward you know just because you have a position doesn't mean you get a spot on the committee and it doesn't make me unhappy and i don't think we violated democracy uh to say look you know you you've you have ventured out of the bounds of rationality sure have that position but we don't have to give you voice or position uh on, on in positions of power so, but who would you who would you have make that decision as to whether or not you have ventured too far? Should it be the leader of your own party, or should it be the leader of the opposition party? Well, in our system, let's, it, let's just do let's just do a a um um a thought experiment. Let's say Republicans are in control, and we're doing a uh, committee on uh, violence associated with Black Lives Matter protests last summer. Um, and uh, uh, Pelosi's uh, minority leader Pelosi sends up uh, AOC, um, or um, uh, oh gosh, who is the uh, congresswoman? The get in their face, uh, um, Max Goldman. Yeah, Maxine Waters. And the chairman says, "No, uh, we are not going to allow Maxine Waters on this committee." Um, well, I'm, wouldn't, I'm, I'm, there, wouldn't I'm, there very much be an, an outcry to say, "Listen, Maxine Waters may be crazy." Uh, but her party has selected her to be on this committee to discuss these issues. Uh, let's have have her perspective. Um, 
and we may not like it and we may think it's crazy and we'll say it's crazy and we'll point out in, in how in what ways it's crazy um and and that's that's how it works and then when we get to the end of the day and we we uh, release a report uh she'll either sign on or most likely say no i i can't sign on and here's my crazy stuff um but regardless no one can accuse this committee of not hearing all sides or saying uh, we're we're only going to it, it's it, what I'm saying is if if the idea is to find common ground, that's not the way to do it by by excluding people. You can't necessarily find common ground with individuals who don't want to find it. Um, and no, no, back- well, no, no, no. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about finding common ground with with Jim Jordan. I'm talking about finding common ground and and just sending the message that look, we had a, a process that was not. Again, I mean, don't you see the irony here? Of they're saying it's all fixed, it's all fixed, it's all fixed. Um, you know, can we be on the committee? No. See, it's all fixed. I, you know, that sort of to me, that's that's the best art. You know, you're you're just you're 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 giving the the crazies more power. Well, I mean, there's a lot to unpackage there because one thing I do want to say, I mean, because you you want to make that kind of comparison. One of the things that has that has bothered me. And you just got and you kind of hit on it was this comparison between January 6th and the Black Lives Matter protest. It, it, I, I am I am so tired of Republicans hanging their hat on that like it makes one lick of sense. No, I, I was I'm, I'm, I was offering it as the the thought experiment of of listen. My problem with the thought experiment even it, does, is, it doesn't. OK, it doesn't have to be the Black Lives Matter protest. It, let's say it is a. Um, Oh, do, 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 do. I, I, I'll come up with a, a different example. Um, but a Republican-led committee, let's, let's uh, say it's about Hunter Biden. Okay. We want to take a look at the vice pre- the, the president's son's um, dealings with the Ukraine. That's a, that's, that's uh, a great example. Versa. But what, what Democrat would be a comparison to Jim Jordan in that view, you think, then? Like, which of them has ignored you know, and voted basically against any kind of semblance of reality. And, I, and I'm more than willing to. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I could. I mean, I could. Uh, well, Chuck Schumer. <laughs> I, mean, I could I could think of, of any number of the Democrats who who when the Hunter, Hunter Biden uh, thing came out, said this is Russian disinformation. Right. That was the that was the official talking point party line. This is Russian disinformation. Um, uh, that this whole this whole laptop thing. So, yeah, some one one of those guys. Right. I mean, the, the 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 point is, if if you want to convince people that the system is not fixed, um, you know, by by continuing, if, if you know, again, the, uh, the thing of, well, there's no such thing as cancel culture. Uh, yes, there is. Shut up. You're canceled. I mean, it's that's. That, I mean, I. I I hear what you're trying to say there, Jay, and, and I and I appreciate the the point, but I I I, I the the idea that the Hunter Biden ongoing what you know the weirdness that went on with the laptop and I find it hard that those individuals taking positions that I, I wouldn't call necessarily. To call Schumer's position on Hunter's laptop an equivalent to Jim Jordan 
voting to not certify, I, f- I feel like that's really just a way to try to normalize the Jim Jordan vote without w- w- without right, effectively one, one backing let's, him. Let's go. We have a time machine, and we have traveled back to 2005, where they're investigating irregularities in the 2004 election. Um, we have a number of uh, Democrats, uh, I, I believe Maxine Waters was among them, uh, who voted not to certify George Bush's elections because of irregularities in Ohio, alleged irregularities. None of which. That's a better happened, example, right? That's um, a better example. And and Republicans control Congress, and we're having a um, uh, a hearing into into this. Uh, does Maxine Waters make the cut? Or any any of the other. Uh, I think in that circumstance, you can make make the case that she doesn't necessarily. But I, again, do you think that that committee has then more or less uh, legitimacy and authority? If if her voice is look, um, black people are being excluded and we're discriminated against in this voting. Um, can I be on the committee? No. I mean, that, you understand the, the you know the the, the committee the, the committee the medium of the committee is the message, and that's that's my concern. And um, when when Pelosi says uh, no, we're not going to we're only going to have the people on who I want to have on, uh, that tells me that th- this committee is is uh, basically you know Pelosi's committee. It, it's it, they're not interested in any actual fact finding or or uh, truth telling or anything like that. Um, if you had more people and you're willing to expose these other, all these witnesses to actual cross-examination, uh, that, I think that, that goes farther and I think it would be better for the country, but, uh, you know, it's neither here nor there. The fact, the fact that as, as Pelosi herself said, it's unprecedented, uh, is sort of telling, but. <laughs> well, now that's true. She did say that. Now I will say kind of as a, as a coda here, you know, I'll be curious, continue to see what else comes out again you know uh, yesterday we have the you know Donald Trump pressing um justice department officials uh to effectively just call it all corrupt so that he has in his words he can take care of it um and i think those things will be interesting but i don't think that's going to sway anybody because if you if you if if you have already decided that there's fraud then that's just trump doing what he ought to do um and and i think for for many republicans that's going to be where it is. Um, but I know what we got to do here for a second, Ken, because uh, we've gone long on this segment. We've got to pause for just a minute and have a word from our sponsors before we come back. We were, we were worried that we wouldn't have enough things to talk about, but yet I think, I think we're definitely going to. Now, you know, another big item this week, and it's been, again, it's, it's been an item for a while, has been the infrastructure deal. Uh, and, you know, this week we see uh, uh, McConnell coming on board with it. And uh, this is something that I know that both you and uh, Mike have talked about and, and Ken and I have talked about. So we seem to be coming into yeah. kind of the home plate. So what, what do you think about yeah, this? So, what's well, the setup I, I for would the, say what's we're, I would say we're, we're maybe at second base at this point. Um, but the uh, bipartisan group of senators agreed to a roughly $1 trillion uh, infrastructure package on Wednesday. Um, Senate vote was 67 to 32, um, uh, and uh, the the bill has uh, included. I could go through all the 
uh, everything kind of roughly 550 billion spending above uh, what had been uh, projected uh, federal spending levels. Uh, 3.5. Uh, uh, whoops, let me back that up. Um, this has been a bipartisan group of senators been working towards the agreement for several months. Um, but, uh, and the big but is, uh, we still have to get, uh, there still has to be some, uh, agreement from the house. And I think that's going to be, uh, more difficult to come by. Um, uh, so let me, let me just run through a couple of the other, uh, highlights here. Um, so uh, 66 billion for passenger and freight rail systems, uh, 7.5 billion to, to build a national network of electric vehicle charging stations, uh, 17 billion for ports, uh, 25 billion for airport improvements, and roughly 50 billion to better equipped communities to withstand extreme weather events and cyber attacks. Uh, there's also money in there for broadband, uh, clean drinking water, uh, and uh, $73 billion, which is a large number, investment in clean energy transmission. Um, anytime I see something uh, billed as, oh, it's an investment in, uh, that's that's when the alarm bell should start going off. Um, uh, but that, that said, uh, the next step is how do you pay for it? Uh, so roughly... Uh, 200 billion um, uh, of of that money will be cost uh, covered by um, uh, sort of using funds that had already been set aside for COVID relief. Um, uh, the 49 billion would delay some Trump uh, era Medicare rebates, um, and then uh, so there's some other money coming from sale of wireless spectrum space. Um, but it's still it's 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 a, a very big number. Well, and, and to be uh, clear, this is one of the things that Ken and I had talked about was that you know the the spending does not offset. Excuse me, the the revenue generation does not offset the spending. Correct. Yeah, it never does. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I, I guess I mean, what what are your thoughts? Um. Uh. You know, the, the the position in the House has been that they will only accept this if if um, uh, the the also they also are allowed to pass their what is the three point five trillion dollar um, uh, changes, which include all all sorts of <laughs> all sorts of things. I won't go through that that laundry list. Um, yeah, and we're not even quite uh, but, sure but what, what that'll are, look what like your, because it's not even on, it's not even finished. What happens next? Yeah, um, I guess to start with. One of the things that has grown increasingly problematic is that neither party is ever willing to pay the bill for the things that they want, right? Uh, And so on the one side, uh, Republicans want to decrease government revenues for for kind of stimulus purposes, uh, but they never want to offset that. And then likewise, Democrats want to increase spending, but they don't want to then, you know, once upon a time, the old saying was, right, uh, you you have tax and spend Democrats. And and right now, what you really have is uh, you have spend and tax little Democrats. You know, they don't want to actually to bump taxes in the way that would be necessary or the other kinds of uh, revenue generating to, to cover the bills for this. Now, in the past, this hasn't been as big of a deal, but I think it's it's a much bigger deal now because we are coming in a couple of years of historic spending. You know, I was, I've been pointing yeah. this out on the show uh, repeatedly. 
it, just a couple of the earlier stimulus packages were in their entirety larger than what we normally spend in an entire fiscal year. So the, the fact that we're continuing to have these uh, spendings packages, they're going to have ramif- it's going to have ramifications. So even before you drill down into the details of, of, of what it could or, or isn't going to do, the thing that we do know that it's going to do is that it's going to increase inflationary uh, uh, trends, especially uh, as the Fed continues to keep interest rates uh, near zero, while simultaneously we have supply, uh, uh, um, excuse me, um, supply side production issues. Uh, Amen and, to that. And, yeah. and so you, those things all go together. And I, and I think one of the problems, both for Republicans and for Democrats who've kind of come together on this bill, is they are thinking of this in terms of a normal year and not in terms of a year in which we have already spent via uh, stimulus packages, again, more than we normally would have spent in a fiscal year. And therefore, I know, you know, one of the things that uh, Ken and Mike will argue is as well, you know, it won't, the effects will be minimal. Well, my answer is, is that I'm not positive that the effects will be minimal because we've never quite had such a big year before, right? Uh, If we've we've noticed these kinds of, I mean, if we have historic precedents to suggest that happened in the past, it's hard for me to, to think, well, uh, a, a, a even larger one isn't going to have an effect in the current, especially again, we have other structural things going on that weren't the same, i.e. the Fed rate zero and these supply side issues. Um, so at a macro level, you know, that, that's, that's, that's my the be- beginning salvo. No, well, I think, I think you and I are exactly uh, on the same page on, on this. Um, uh, you know, it used to be back during the Obama administration, uh, there were there were serious qualms about you know getting close to the one trillion dollar number uh, because that was that was just you know struck people as crazy you you can't spend a trillion dollars uh, and now we're we're dropping trillions right and left uh, and you've got another three and a half trillion coming down the pike uh, from what the house wants to do um, so yeah I and I I, I absolutely believe this is going to be inflationary uh, Mike and I have something of a wager. Um, he thinks inflation will still be at around the base two uh, percent um, uh, when it all evens out by by December. Um, I I think that's nuts. <laughs> well, you know, I, you know and, and and there look, is I mean, just just to be you know evidentiary on this um, when you take a look at American workers' uh, wage. And you take a look, and, and you and you separate out in, into the quintiles over 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 this year, right? Um, the bottom twenty five percent have lost 09 percent due to inflation. The second quartile two percent. Uh, the third quartile two percent. Um, top twenty five two point four percent, and overall at one point nine percent. And so what you see as an average there is, is you're coming in that about one point nine percent impact. Uh, and that's just right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's there's also a whole lot of COVID spending that is it's still in the pipeline and it hasn't hit yet. Um, well, I and, mean, and, we, and you're never always feeling all of the Fed's policies at that moment, right? So yeah. the Fed, the Fed's buying policy because uh, they they're hold they hold a a, a larger number of assets than they ever have before. That's effectively just another way of. Spending that is not as obvious. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and, and likewise, there there used to be, or there there have been, uh, over the past twenty years, some other structural pieces, mostly mostly globalization, uh, that that reduced inflation uh, or kept it at bay. Uh, and you're seeing less of that as there's more conflict with China and other places, and and more that just globalization has caught up a lot of places, right? The savings that were once there or that were there 20 years ago uh, might not be there now. Um, so no, I think this is a a a, a really uh, uh, I'm, I'm not crazy about uh, uh, a trillion dollars in spending. I'm less you know even less crazy about three and a half. Um, so. You know, I guess, what do you think happens in the House, though? Uh, does Nancy Pelosi have the votes uh, to come up uh, to to uh, do this without having it tied to the other spending bill? I think yes, because uh, I don't think there's much question on the Democratic side that they can get their own bill uh, through. And so once you have this, you're going to have them together. Uh, there's really There's really not a lot to be lost here. Yeah, so you know, I wish I could say that I think that there's some some big hurdles, but I don't think there's a major hurdle. And and to be honest about the process, even if this does not move forward, it's not as if it's going to prevent uh, Democrats from having it as part of reconciliation in just a simply larger bill uh, a little bit down the line. So there, there's, I mean. The only people who have anything short term potentially to lose are Republicans, right? Uh, by signing on to this, they they get to once again attach big uh, spending bill, which has been positive for them. I mean, again, that's what they wanted to do when Trump was in office. Um, really, the heartburn is just about who's in control right now. And and if you're if you're Democrats, uh, you either are you either get a win for bipartisanship if Republicans get on, but if they don't, you still get the win for spending what you promised you were going to spend. So I, I don't see there being much in the way of a of a barrier uh, to this coming down the pike. You, you don't think the uh, Progressive Caucus in the House will will block this uh, unless it is explicitly tied to a bigger spending bill, or unless the number on this goes up. No, because they can put that number up higher in, in the reconciliation bill. I mean, so if you're Nancy Pelosi and you're talking with them, again, you, they get a, a huge win on bipartisanship while simultaneously still getting to spend as much as they want uh, on the second go round. Um, so even if I'm, you know, a dyed in the wool far left progressive who wants to see massive spending increases, you know, it's not as if this is this isn't the one and done bill. Um so no, I, I don't. I don't see that as being. As a matter of fact, if that was going to be the case, I think you would already be seeing uh, 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 the kind of the progressive caucus taking a position now. Now would be a perfect time to start signaling that um, to win yourself some potential points if you thought there was a chance to win points. And I think the fact that we don't see House members uh, doing that right now is evidence that my thesis is correct. Okay. Well, I, I I disagree. We'll see how this plays out. Uh, but my sense is you're going to see progressives demand a fairly high price uh, for uh, for a vote on on this. Um, whether that means it has to be tied to the anti-poverty bill, um, 
uh, and again, the, the the idea, of course, is that that bill is not going to pass in in the Senate, uh, which means that that uh, infrastructure and and this bill would would both be be dead. And we're moving into the summer recess, uh, and and then uh, it's all um, uh, you know essentially election year after that. Um, so no, I I don't I don't uh, I don't know the Pelosi. Uh, can get her her ducks in a row to vote on this, and I'll be, we'll we'll wait and see, and I'll be I'll be surprised if she does, and um, yeah, we'll. So we agree on the macro, but we very much disagree on yeah, the on, yeah. on the policy play. I like that. That's fun. Now I do. I'm am curious because uh, it's been a months ago now, Ken, but I remember we were on a a, a three. We were we were having a show between you and me and Mike, and originally Kristen was supposed to be on it uh, as well, and it just ended up being the three of us. And and you kind of acquiesced that we're you know we're all Keynesians now, and Ken yeah. uh, will continue. I to think, remind yeah, me I, I, I think I said maybe we're all yeah we're all modern modern monetarists that, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which effectively is you know it yeah, is is Keynesian uh, theory. Uh, now I you know I might be the only holdout left on this show, so I'm curious though. Do you do are you taking that view? Are 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 you still a modern? I mean, so do you think that uh, that, that, that Keynesian policy still or you know, has this year brought you over uh, to more of the classical side? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, with, I, uh, I, I, with like I'm, a Hayekian view. I'm very much still the, uh, the take the, the classical uh, view. Uh, I think the, my, my, when, in saying that, uh, I wasn't saying that I had necessarily uh, switched sides, but, but rather that was now the only side that left to be on. Right? <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I misunderstood you. Yeah, I thought we might have uh, some I'm not saying no, I, I, I think that modern monetary monetary policy is, is a great idea or that it works. Um, and, and I anticipate that I'll be proven right, uh, within the next year. Right. <laughs> um, but, but, um, uh, yeah, my, my comment was more aimed to say that, uh, looks like that's the only game in town these days. So I gotcha. Well, before we move on to our next uh, uh, story, Jay, we're going to need to take a quick break. Okay, so, uh, you know, the, the, the last thing that we want to take on in the show today, Ken, um, because we're just going to run out of time, we're going to have to put more things into the bonus show, that's the way it is. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, c- kind of the current state of COVID, uh, the Delta variant, and of course, this week, uh, Biden suggesting $100 payments uh, for the unvaccinated uh, to get vaccinated, and, and so I was just kind of curious what you what, what you kind of saw uh, briefly on that front. So yeah, briefly, and again, this was sort of a big topic, and you and I kicked it around. Of there's a lot of there's like a lot of little things to talk about, right? Oh yeah, um, and rather than than one one big one. Uh, I would say in, in in the news, there's some evidence that um, uh, vac- vaccinations have ticked up in the South in the Midwest uh, following uh, sort of this the 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 uh, spread of the the Delta variant. Uh, now, whether that is is um, uh, because of people who are more concerned about it now, or they're getting pressure from friends and family, uh, or they have just finally given up whatever objections that they may have had, it's it's unclear because these things are hard to to track. It's it's not as like everybody's getting pulled when they when they get the shot of why are you doing this now? Um, uh, but um, uh, the the Biden uh, hundred dollar. Uh, thing. Uh, I think I think we should talk about that just because on the one end, it's kind of hilarious. 
um, uh, you know, you were on the sort of a joint a chain uh, email. Mike uh, texted about the hundred dollars yeah. and his thought on Slack you know, channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shouldn't 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 actually shouldn't people who were the early adopters get paid more? Uh, and and obviously that's that's the case. But it's sort of um, uh, there's you know there there's sort of a, a this is just sort of a truism in the law. If you have, if you're in a case with uh, you know multiple claimants, uh, multiple defendants. Uh, or multiple points, the sort of the, the last guy to settle always gets the best deal. Um, and uh, yeah, if it's a hundred bucks now, uh, whoever whoever is the last guy to v- get vaccinated, um, you know, could be looking at a big payday. Uh, I, I think it's I think the hundred dollars sort of silly. I mean, the lottery idea uh, was perhaps marginally less silly. Um, but look, you explain, was, you know, in Ohio, for example, yeah, uh, if you were vaccinated, states, yeah. you put your vax uh, card in and then you could have been drawn a center yeah. whenever you had done it, as long as you've been vaccinated. Exactly. Yeah. So it applied to all vaccinated people. So there was that sort of not the not the creating the perverse incentive of I'm going to hold out and not get vaccinated for a, a better deal. Um, uh, and also it was one of those, uh, you know, hey, maybe I win a million bucks. Um as as opposed to uh, hey here's here's a hundred bucks cash, because um, what what troubles me about the the, the Biden proposal is, um, I'm not I'm not sure if if that does it if if all these folks who weren't getting vaccinated if the only difference is a hundred bucks, um, you know yikes I mean my my sense is it, it, look if 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 you are really a a serious anti-vaxxer and believe. Uh, you know, this, this has dangerous side effects or there's the Bill Gates microchip or, or, or whatever, right? Um, hundred bucks isn't going to change your mind. Um, uh, likewise, if, if you're, if you're priced to, 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 to if you do believe this and you're, you're willing to sell out for a hundred bucks, well, I don't know, I guess that, that says something about, uh, about you. Um, I don't know. I what what are you, what are your thoughts? I mean, to me, it's it's well, it I just th- strikes me more as as uh, just you know, kind of like throwing money out of a plane kind of thing. It's I'm sympathetic to the Biden administration on this because you're in this horrible circumstance where we we haven't yet reached enough vaccinations, uh, and especially in particular locations. And and I'll say this, you know, in, in Oklahoma, we're under the average uh, relatively significantly. Uh, and that's in part due to things that are outside the control uh, uh, of the administration, right? I mean, we are in a federal system. Each state gets to have their own deal. So in Texas, in Oklahoma, in Arkansas, we have a bunch of policies that have actually made all of this much, much harder. <laughs> you know, like you, such as. So, for example, in uh, Oklahoma, we have an executive order that you can't require masks. Uh, in any at any pub, in any public uh, venue or location uh, that is controlled by the state, so that includes like my neighbor here to the north at Oklahoma uh, State University. Uh, so they couldn't, they can't require vaccinations. They can't ask for vaccination status, and they aren't allowed to have <laughs> masks. Um, and so that creates kind of difficult environments for families coming back. It also puts other schools. So, you know, I work at Oklahoma Christian, so we're private. So we don't fall under that executive order, but it's put us under a a unique amount of pressure um, uh, here in that there's been a number uh, of, as a matter of fact, it it gets a little tiresome, the complaints. So we're going to have vaccinations possible on campus. And 
we'll have slightly different uh, rules for people who aren't vaccinated from from then who are. Now we can only do that though because you know they ha- now if the legislature passes the law the way that they want to do, in other words, codifying what uh, the governor has done and therefore extending it, then we wouldn't be able to do that either. And and that's just yet another barrier to people uh, getting uh, getting vaccines. And well, is, is it is it a barrier? I mean, I guess that I guess that's my as, as a liberal as you're a libertarian. I mean, is is lack of government coercion a barrier? For, well, in this you case, you know, this right? isn't this isn't a, this would be a, this would be government coercion against vaccines is the best that I can see it. I mean, uh, non coercion uh, would so? be to I mean, say, but the government. But what I'm saying is, if the well, if I'm if, 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 if the government if private saying institutions I'm not going to are required to not to to not. Uh, make the policies as they see best fit, uh, because you uh, you know the, because they don't want to have some un- anti-vaxxer you know their feelings hurt. Um, that's coercion against a private institution. Okay, I mean fair fair enough. But uh, is is your sense that if the private institutions could coerce people? Uh, then you'd have, I guess, is, 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 do you think the problem in Oklahoma is not enough private institutions are coercing people? In other words, do you think that if, if in other words, I want to make sure I'm answering your question correctly. If more institutions could do what they would want to do, would that increase vaccination rates in a statistically yeah. significant way? Yeah. I would say I, my my guess would be probably Yes, but not as much in Oklahoma, because, again, there's probably not as many private institutions who'd want to do that, which, again, would be their, you know, their prerogative. Right. Yeah. That's kind of because, again, I mean, where where I live um, and we're we're sitting pretty at, uh, I don't know what our county vaccination level, but it's probably 60, 70 percent. Oh, um, I see here we, we we are about 40. Yeah. Um, uh but this this was all. I mean, people got vaccinated voluntarily, and and uh, nobody was coercing anybody uh, uh, to to do it. But you know, if you um, think about it, though, that kind of private coercion, we use that on uh, kind of a regular basis for all kinds of social things. I mean, as a matter of fact, you know, to come live in dorms, there are a number of vaccinations that are required. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we don't have laws that prevent schools from doing that. So it seems really bizarre to me um, that, we, that, that, that we have bifurcated here and say, well, we're going to let you, you know, for all kinds of safety reasons, mandate that you have to have your hepatitis shot. Um, and that's not the big one. Uh, the one in dorms is, um, oh, meningitis. Yeah. Uh, your meningitis shot. But... We're definitely going to have executive orders and laws. We're going to protect your freedom from COVID. Like I, that's I, I can't quite figure that out. It does that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, to me. no, and I, I think I think there's a lot of political theater going on there um, on on both sides. And I guess I guess that, that's that's my question is, um, is it your sense that people in Oklahoma and states like Oklahoma aren't getting vaccinated because they aren't being forced to do it? Uh, well, because or, they've been consistently lied to that. I mean, they're not, they're not, I mean, my, my suggestion is, is that I don't think that those kinds of incentives, the white house is proposing are going to be effective. And I think you, you agree on that. 
Yeah. Uh, in large part because of the amount of misinformation that it has come forward, oftentimes from elected officials in, in the respective states uh, about the COVID vaccine and its danger or its harm to freedom in some way. Uh, and so in large part, I blame a lot of the hesitancy on that of of particular political actors who have found it in their interest um, to to pretend that this isn't an issue or worse. Well, let's let's name names then, I guess, because uh, I'm like, who who is 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 making the argument, uh, political leaders, that people shouldn't get vaccinated? Well, I mean, take a look in the case of uh, in the case of Oklahoma, we have a num- we have a number of state house and Senate members who have made that case uh, uh, um, forthrightly. Um, likewise, in Arkansas, uh, now I can't speak to Texas or every other state, right? I, I don't keep up with every single state. <laughs> state like, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know that much stuff. Um, but I would suggest that those kinds of structural factors are one of the reasons. We have southern states um, with the numbers that they do. I mean, because we know as social scientists that often structural institutional arrangements are one of the biggest predictors of outcome. And so when you set up uh, laws and systems that suggest that the vaccine is bad, right? So when, if you have a law that says, okay, you can't have masks, you can't, you know, uh, you can't uh, differentiate. What you're suggesting is there's something wrong with that vaccine. It's part of an institutional fr- uh, framework in your state, and that's going to discourage people from taking those steps. Uh, and instead, what we ought to be doing is having the kind of the it's called the nudge theory, if you will, in social science, creating institutions where it's frictionless to do the right thing. Right? You're not forcing anybody to do it, but you want to make it as frictionless as possible. And instead, not only are we not making it frictionless, we're creating institutional barriers by in the in the institution itself, both creating but, friction and sowing doubt. I guess I get well two things. I guess where I, I still don't get where the friction is, right? Because still anyone in Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas, wherever can walk into a CVS uh, or wherever and and get a vaccine for free. So, but if you're if you're governor if if you're governor Stitt, governor of Oklahoma, governor Abbott, governor of Texas. Um, and, and you have released executive orders that suggest that nobody can ask about this um, and that you've had press conferences now saying uh, to that effect that we're not going to do this because we don't want to force people. Don't you think that that is, it, it, it is a message to people to say, well, OK, well, fine. I, I, I could go down and, and make an appointment at the CVS to do this thing. But no one's going to ever know. It won't impact any bit of my life. So eh, I'm not going to do it, especially since, I mean, you know, why else would I mean, if he's doing this, there must be a reason why. I see. I guess that that goes to my second point. And I, I tend to, to think that politicians follow people a lot more than people follow politicians. Um, okay. And and Mike and I have this argument all the time um, where he says, well, people do this because Trump Trump said X. 
Um, and and well, I, I, think it's, I think it's quite I think it's quite the other way around. I think it's politicians do X because they hear from the people that this is this is what they want. Now, right or wrong, right? I mean, the people can certainly uh, be misled or or uh, you know not have terribly good ideas, and that's where leadership comes in. Is if you are a skilled leader, uh, you're able to talk to those folks and and move them in a, a more productive direction. Um, but but there is always this this sense, and I um, think this is what's happened in a lot of states. And Ohio's had some of this, um, uh, not to the extent a lot of other you know Midwestern or th- Southern states of of pushback against uh, COVID measures and mask mandates and and uh, vaccine mandates that that sort of thing. Um, but uh, I I think it's it's comes up from. Look, that's what these elected representatives, that's what their constituents are asking and demanding. Um, and again, the constituents can be, you know, uh, batshit crazy. Uh, but <laughs> nevertheless, if we're talking about, a, uh, you know, you know, government by the people, um, that's that's where it's coming from. I, I don't think this is and I don't think if uh, whatever state senator said, uh, look, I'm I'm not going to to uh, do this. I'm um, uh, I, I think the, the people would just find a new state senator rather than uh, the state senator finding new people. Well, I would suggest. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. But I would suggest that the data is such that there you might be underestimating slightly the impact of elite signaling. Now, that's not to say that you're you're wrong. I think obviously there are the the models suggest that. Of course, you couldn't just be anything, right? It's got to come out as a Nazi or something. Uh, uh, so, of course, there's kind of a push and pull between uh, elite behavior and uh, public behavior uh, in the political system. And, and usually how it comes out is through pattern behavior, i.e. institutional design. And all I'm trying to argue is, is that when you create institutional creation, has real-world ramifications on human behavior, often more profoundly, I think, than, than many people want to recognize. I think the, the kind of the default assumption is, is that most people are kind of uh, autonomous individuals running around, and they make all of their choices independent from the structures from in which they exist. Uh, and rather, I think, a, a more realistic uh, uh, model of this, and when you take a look at the data, is that you kind of have these patterning institutions. And so people are, of course, making choices. Uh, so I'm not attempting to, you know, I, I'm a, a believe individual can do that. But we're patterned and, and we make many of our choices unconsciously as a result of those institutional structures. Uh, and so, for example, one of the ones I always use in my classes is the way a student behaves in a class uh, has very little to do with probably their way of thinking or they're making a choice, but rather a lot to do with the institutional structure. So on the first day, students come in, they come to me, they accept a syllabus, they only talk when I, you know, when they raise their hand, blah, blah, blah. There's all these things that you do in that classroom setting. That's all about pattern institutionalized behavior. Um, so, you know, if we patterned it different, people would have, by default, behaved slightly differently on aggregate. And so I think for COVID, I, you know, we were seeing that happen in the case of, uh, of vaccination rates, where we have institutional uh, patterns where it is like in, in your county, for example, uh, where you don't see the same kinds of barriers being put up. 
you have a much higher vaccination rate, and that doesn't shock me. And then in, st- and then in, in counties like my own in Oklahoma, where we do, we see a lower. I don't think that Oklahomans are dumber than Ohioans. Uh, rather, I think it's these institutional patterns that are that that, uh, that kind of change those base rates. Do you think uh, Oklahomans are more distrustful of authority than Ohioans? Since I don't have any data on it, I'm, I, I, I don't really know how to answer that, Jay. Yeah, I mean, because to me, I, I look at it, this is more of a... It's less institutions. Institutions reflect the cultures from which they're and And I would have to think that all the elite institutions, wherever, right, all the hospitals, the universities, the doctors, the uh, professional organizations, churches, everybody has been saying, get the vaccine. Um, right. So the, the anti-vaxxer. Well, I mean, now, I will say I will go to the extent you mentioned, like, for example, churches. And that's something near and dear to my heart. That is not the case universally at churches. As a matter of fact, um, there is a, a big church in Tulsa uh, that early on came out against the vaccine. Uh, we've had a couple, uh, you know, locally here. Um, so, you know, even in that view, there may not be quite the same institutional push. Okay. Uh, so, well, that's that's interesting because again, it's it's that's been very much the opposite of of what what I've seen here in in Northeast Ohio. Um, but that kind of goes to my my point is that maybe, uh. You know, this, this, you know, again, it's, it's Mike and I always talk about um, Evan Burke and it's, you know, cultural stuff matters, right? And and to me that, that drives so much more than, than say institutions. Um, uh, okay. So but, we would, we would probably have some space there then. I, I believe that culture matters, but, um, you know, 10 years of studying it have, have, have left me with the that suggests that the data that, that those institutional structures are are far more important than we often want to give them credit for. So no, God, and look, and I I would agree with you when it comes to things like uh, tax policy or or something like that, right? You know, creating economic incentives uh, that you create these these structures and and then people just sort of fall into them, fit into them because uh, because that's you know they 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 make their decisions based on how the, the government structure that, that exists, you know, rewards or punishes them. Um, but, uh, and maybe, maybe, you know, you know, if, if we, if we're coming to a point of agreement here, um, the difference on this is that COVID is something that is so new and so different. It doesn't really fit into the boxes of, of what we would usually talk about on, in these kind of things. Right. Maybe. I'm just throwing that out there. I hear you, but I mean, you know, we've already gone long on the show. kind but, of thing you know, and the newness of it and all that. that. I, I'm often, you know, as, as a scientist, it is, it is my, it, it is always my kind of uh, assumption that what is happening new uh, will, if I have, if I have explained behavior in the past rightly, will be explained by those same mechanisms moving forward. Because if my, if my theories don't, if my theories can't predict what's happening in the future, then they're kind of pathetic theories. Um, uh, and, you know, again, I mean, as, as the show kind of gets on, I mean, you know, earlier, you know, we had brought up like Black Lives Matter, but there's, I think that's like another great example of the importance of institutional structures is the kinds of ways that, uh, you know, African-Americans, have faced things that uh, that that others have not, in part because not there was individual people, uh, you know, ra- trying to be racist 
but rather you have racist institutional structures. But that's a, I think that's probably more than a topic take on and yeah that's another show <laughs> so why don't we pause here jay and we're gonna have to put everything else in the bonus show. so if you want the rest <laughs> you'll have to come tune into the bonus show it's been a lot of fun doing it with you hope you had fun too yep absolutely well, well i want to thank to when we get to yeah you and i again sometime well yeah you know i think at some point maybe we'll have to do the uh, want to get chris i've never been on a show with Kristen, so at some point yeah. maybe we'll have to make that happen uh, as well, get the three of us. I think that would, I was looking forward to that a long time ago, but we'll get there. Well, I want to thank everybody who, for listening to the politics guys, I want you to know that for Jay and for myself and for Mike and for Kristen and for Ken, uh, you know, we don't do this because it's, uh, it's some, you know, great side gig. We do this because we, we love doing the show and we think that this is interesting, worthwhile and useful. Uh, and, but to make it happen, there's, things that are required, the microphones we talk into and the software that's a monthly fee and, 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 the, and the list just goes on. Uh, and, and the way that you can make that, those kinds of tools available to us uh, is by doing things like subscribing to the Politics Guys uh, uh, on the podcast app of choice, sharing episodes like this one, which are especially kind of unique, where you got uh, myself and Jay. Uh, as a matter of fact, those kinds of behaviors, that's one of the best ways to increase the visibility of the show, and we really appreciate that. But we also just need your outright support. Uh, and you get things for being a supporter other than just the good feeling of knowing that you're making it possible for us to continue to do the show. Uh, you get access to exclusive supporters-only content. And one of those items, of course, is our supporters-only Wednesday show. And, and uh, Jay and I are going to be recording that in just a minute. Uh, we're going to be taking on a bunch of listener questions. Uh, we also have a Discord channel. So if you want to chat with myself, Jay, uh, you, can, you can get on Discord once you become a supporter. So we have all kinds of cool, different levels of support, different uh, things that that unlocks. Uh, and so if you want to learn about the nitty-gritty uh, details of that, if you're ready to become a supporter or just want to check out more of the benefits of being a supporter uh, for the politics guys, you can head to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash politicsguys, or you can go to our main page, politicsguys.com slash support. So again, join myself and Jay again on Wednesday, which is going to be a lot of fun, by heading to patreon.com slash politicsguys. If you've got questions, comments, corrections, or you just want to yell at me and Jay for, for being too conservative this week, uh, you can always reach us at mail at politicsguys.com. We're also on Twitter at Politics Guys. Now, the executive producers of Politics Guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Marino, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Chris Wilkinson, and Ryan Beasley. Today's show was produced by myself, Trey Orndorff. I hope you'll join us next.